the writers in Hollywood now. You know, a lot of them will have gone to college for four or five years where they've been told incessantly, the world is inherently racist and sexist. Everyone's awful. Everyone hates each other. It's just this big hierarchy of people getting oppressed by everyone else. And so that's going to reflect in their mindset and it's going to reflect in what they write and what they try to uh, rationalize in their stories. And that's why you get what you end up with. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisson. And this is the show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a novelist, YouTuber and film critic, Will Jordan, aka The Critical Drinker. Welcome to Trigonometry. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you. You've got a brilliant YouTube channel that's absolutely crushing it. I, we're really interested to talk to you about what's happening in the movie world and some of the ideologies and all of that stuff. But before we do, uh, tell us who are you, how are you, where you are, what has been your journey through life that leads you to be sitting here talking to us? Uh, well, I'm reasonably sure that I'm Will Jordan. Um, <laughs> I'm a, a writer and eventually I became a YouTuber. Um, I guess I got into this whole thing because I'd always been interested in storytelling. I'd been fascinated by, by characters and how you can just, you know, you can create these fictional worlds that people can just lose themselves in. I think there's something really special and magical about that. Um, and so it eventually led me to becoming an author myself and, um, you know, wrote nine, ten books now. Um, so it, it became quite a successful thing for me. And um, yeah, I was really pleased with that. But, you know, several years ago, I guess I, I began to notice um, a change in the movies that we were we were seeing in cinemas. Um, they were gradually losing that, that kind of magic and that ability to lose yourself in the story. Um, and it was becoming more and more obvious that they were trying to inject the politics, the the beliefs, the ideologies of the writers um, into the stories, and you were losing then your 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 characters, your quality of your storytelling, and particularly when they were doing it to um, older characters mm. that they were bringing back. You know, they were essentially just bringing back these old actors, these old characters, and kind of breaking them down and humiliating them. Um, and funnily enough, I didn't like that because I used to be <laughs> a fan of a lot of these people, uh, and so I decided yeah, I need to try and, I guess, add my voice to that conversation about it. And I thought, well, I can, I can get back into YouTube because I used to do it way back when, just messing around, just little little channel with a few hundred subscribers. So I started that up again and um, started talking about various movies. Uh, and there was one day when, I don't know what happened, I think maybe I had a beer or two before I recorded it, and I was like, my voice is awfully slurred uh, in this video. And well, you are Scottish, Mike. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what can I do? You know, it was, it was 9 a.m. Of course you're going to have a drink. Um, and I just thought, you know, what? I'm just going to go with this and have this kind of slurred, drunken voice um, that's really sarcastic. And uh, wow, that video went out, went viral. Before I knew it, I had half a million, um, maybe a million views on that. And I went from a few hundred subscribers up to 5, 10, 20, 30,000. And then it's just been a roller coaster from there. So it's been kind of fun. See, mate, we need to get you back on the source. Yeah, exactly. Right, just slow, slow your words. <laughs> yeah. Bam, a million yeah. subscribers, here we come. Yeah. Well, what is it they say in Vitae Veritas? You know, there's truth in drinks. So yeah, exactly. I, I'll go with that. Yeah. yeah. But what we were talking about just there, it rang so true with me because I come from more of a theatre perspective, but I've, I've seen the same thing happen with theatre. But let's talk about specific examples. What in particular... Where have you noticed it? In what films? What characters? Basically anything known by Disney. 
at this point. Um, you know, obviously they, they took over the whole Star Wars brand. They took over Marvel. Um, and particularly with Star Wars, you would see characters like Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, these classic heroes from, from 20, 30 years ago that we all knew as kids that were awesome. And suddenly they're getting brought back and they're, they're like deadbeat dads or they're just <laughs> grumpy old men living on an island and just want to die and they've lost all hope. You know, it's, um, it, it's a terrible thing to do to these characters because it's one thing to kill them off. It's another thing to destroy their legacy or the very essence of who they were. And I think that's when I really started to notice it. These heroes that we used to enjoy are just being um, denigrated and, and broken down to try and push the new heroes that they tried to replace them with, which are just usually cardboard cutouts with no real personalities. That was the frustrating part for me. And well, look, there'll be people here going, hang on a second, right? Hollywood has always pushed certain narratives. It has always pushed certain politics. The American dream that you can go and be and do anything that you want to, to, to be or to do. Isn't that politics? Do you know what I mean? I, I think there's a difference there in terms of, um, one, how pervasive it is in the story, because now it's so obvious and it's usually paired up with a lack of writing skill. Like the, the writers are usually stumbling over themselves so quickly to push this stuff in they neglect to even bother with a good story. Um, the other aspect, like I just described there, is the, the trampling of, of what came before and the, you know, um, exploiting the work of previous generations of writers and, and storytellers to try and um, elevate the, the stuff that you're producing now. Um, so I think those two strands combined is just what makes it so distasteful now. Um, and it's quite a shift because in the past, if you were doing a remake of something or a sequel to something or a prequel to something, you were kind of going like, this was successful, so we'll do more of that. Whereas now you're starting to see, like you say, where something that used to be a certain way is now being presented as something else. Mm -hmm. uh, and you feel it's kind of affecting the quality of, of what's being made. Very much so, yeah. Um, it's one thing to... Um, <coughs> to produce sequels to, to previously successful movies. You know, Hollywood's been doing that for decades now. Fair enough. It's another thing to start to say, hey, you, know, you, know, you know, these guys that uh, you used to enjoy so much, these stories that you used to appreciate, they were never that good. What we're making now is better. But it's not. It's just a lie that you're expected to buy into. And it's patronising to the viewer. That's the thing that really gets on my nerves. Like I was watching, I mean, it's slightly different. I was watching Miss Maisel, which I really enjoyed. The first three seasons were great. And then in the fourth season, it went weird. They, they started preaching almost, mm -hmm. this kind of feminist message. And you're going, I don't give a shit. Just tell me the story. Mm -hmm. There's ways to work ideas like that into the story subtly. Yeah. yeah. So that you, you can in almost uh, present both sides of an argument and let the audience make up their minds with stuff mm -hmm. like that. And just show the characters encountering difficulties. Um, that's one way to do it. But if you just are straight up telling the audience, this is what you must think, this is what you must believe, um, that's just the hallmark of bad writing. And it's what you see more and more now. It's, it's where you're then removed from the story. You're no longer losing yourself in a, a fictional world that you can believe in. All you're seeing is the beliefs of the writer. That's, that's what it becomes, and that's when it's detrimental. And why do you think this is happening, Will? Uh... I mean, there's a broad shift in our culture, I think, at the moment. Um, you know, we, I guess people talk about woke politics and, and social justice and stuff, how it's become really prevalent um, in the past several years. I think in Hollywood, in America, there was um, 
there was obviously a broad general reaction to the election in 2016. That that drove a lot of people nuts. And it was it was essentially a backlash then amongst the people of Hollywood against that. Um, so I think all of those things combined are, are what's causing this um, this shift in, in what we see in movies and storytelling. Um, it's an attempt to make people feel and think a certain way. Yeah, look, I'm sure that had a huge impact, but it feels to me, and maybe you'll correct me, that actually something has been changing for longer even than that. And the reason I say this is, like uh, Francis and I were talking about this before we started, where they used to, quite often a movie used to have a fairly simplistic possibly, but a moral message of some kind, Mm -hmm. or a a very uh, aspirational quality to it. Like, if you think about movies from when I was a kid, whether you think they're good or not, like Independence Day or whatever, it was all about triumph over some kind of foreign mm-hmm. hostile invasion, people coming together all over the world. It was all about uniting and working together to succeed in some way. Mm-hmm. Whereas more recently, even in like stuff that I think is incredibly well made, whether that's Game of Thrones or House of Cards or anything like that, I started to see that actually what they were doing now is showing the opposite and going, look at all the deep dysfunction in human beings. Look at all the terrible ways that people operate. Look at the way people cheat and steal and and uh, and murder and do all of those horrible things. And it's shown from a, a kind of different perspective. So instead of giving you an aspirational picture, mm-hmm. it was it became more about going, look how bad everything is. Well, I think that, that ties into the mindset of a lot of uh, the writers in Hollywood now. You know, a lot of them will have gone to college for four or five years where they've been told incessantly the world is inherently racist and sexist. Everyone's awful. Everyone hates each other. It's just this big hierarchy of people getting oppressed by everyone else. And so that's going to reflect in their mindset and it's going to reflect in what they write and what they try to um, rationalize in their stories. And that's why you get what you end up with. Um, And yeah, it's... It is so disheartening because, like you say, there used to be an aspirational message to so much of, of movie making. You know, whether it was characters like Rocky who have to, to, you know, rise to some big challenge to try and overcome it. Whether it's something like Independence Day, like a big cheesy blockbuster movie, mm. but there's a positive message there about people putting aside their differences to, to take on a bigger threat. Um, unashamedly pro-American, I suppose, as well. Um, and that's, again, what you see now is there's this kind of nihilism and this kind of uh, uh, almost hatred of their own country. You know, America was never that good anyway, and it was all founded on on racism and slavery and all that stuff. Um, it, it just, it engenders this kind of negative mindset in the audience, I think, and they come away unsatisfied by it. I don't know if the writers in their way feel like, well, we're making the world a better place because we're educating people about the problems of the world. But there's a format for doing that, and if you just focus on that, you end up just leaving your audience feeling downbeat and unhappy. Um, and I think that's why, you know, a movie like um, Top Gun Maverick that came out, it's a sequel to a film from like the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, it should never even, in, in all, um, you know, in any rational world, it never even should have got made so long, um, you know, so many years later. Um, but there it is, and it's and it's a really good, fun movie. It's positive. It's upbeat. It doesn't try and um, denigrate the past or put down its previous generation of characters. It's respectful, um, and it ends up just being a really great, fun movie. And people come out of that feeling good about themselves. 
What's and, so bad about that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's allowed. We're allowed to feel happy yeah. occasionally. Not you know? anymore, mate. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, sorry, just on, on this yeah. very point, Francis. Like you, you mentioned, for example, slavery. Right? There's a history of movies about slavery. I, I remember as a kid here at school going to see Amistad, Amistad. Mm-hmm. and that is a movie about a horrible chapter in human history. But it also shows that people working together and people uh, advocating for their rights and and freedom of expression, all of that stuff, can actually achieve results. It's saying, like, we're not doomed as human beings Mm -hmm. to the worst elements of our past. We're not doomed to our most base instincts. We're not doomed to, to be constantly stuck in this endless eternal battle between groups. Actually, when we work together, we can get to the point of our common humanity actually triumphing over all that tribalism. Yeah. And now we're just doing the exact opposite. We're just going, here's here's another movie about how we're all evil. Yes. You know? Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's, that's it's it. Not nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there's nothing I can add to that. Like, right. you pretty much articulate it perfectly. It's the... Yeah, it's the mindset now of, of making movies. But um, surely that's gotta, that's gotta be unsustainable. You'd think, but... They keep doing it. I mean, my my rationale has always been uh, eventually the money will run out. You know, so many of these movies that they try to do, uh, they fail uh, and they end up losing money for the studio. Um, and, you know, as many um, ideologically driven people as there are in Hollywood, there's even more guys who are just money men. They just want to make cash and they don't care what it is that does that. But if they see enough movies that are in the red... There, there has to come a point where they say, enough of this crap. We've got to stop this. We have to start making movies that are actually popular that people like. So you just you have to hope that eventually it's going to filter through. I mean, like I say, there's, there's occasional films that, um, that do crop up, mm. Like, mm. like Top Gun Maverick, that, um, that have done really well. And hopefully they serve as a, a little um, you know, lesson for people that it can still work. The, these older style movies that are positive, upbeat, patriotic, whatever it might be, they can be a massive success if they're done right. Um, we just have to hope that it will happen eventually. You know, these are all excellent points because I remember going to watch 12 Years a Slave and I remember saying to my ex-girlfriend as I walked out, I said, I think the only way you can enjoy that film is if you are actually racist. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way because apart from that, it's just an hour and a half of some of the most horrific violence against yeah. black people. And you go, this is, this, is, this is obviously accurate, all of these things. But you go, this, it's just awful. It doesn't leave you with any any sense of, you know, of, of anything apart from just deep horror. Yeah. I mean, obviously different movies are designed to do different yeah, things. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. There, I mean, Hotel are... Rwanda is the same, right? You yeah. watch it to get a picture of what happened. You, yeah. you're, not, you're, you're not walking out there looking for a feel-good moment. Yeah, exactly. You can, you know, you can watch Schindler's List. You're probably not going to have a blast watching that movie, but it's it an important movie. depends on your political opinion. Well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's an important movie. Yeah, um, of course. And it, it's, a, it's obviously a deeply moving and poignant yeah. film, yeah. Um, but not necessarily uh, an enjoyable film. Yeah. But, you know, so the, I think different films can do that. But I think the problems come in when you're... Uh, ostensibly trying to make some some uh, blockbuster, you know, fun, upbeat movie, and then you start working in this other Got stuff. You. Like, oh, by the way, do you know that like loads of people in America are racist, or you know, whatever it might be. Um, it's just it often comes across as just weird moments of you're trying to make something into something it's not. We hope you're enjoying this incredible interview. Did you know that you can ask guests like the critical drinker? 
your questions. That's right. When you join our Locals community, not only will you know who we're about to interview, you have the opportunity to ask them your questions. It's not just a critical drinker either. You have the chance to ask Jordan Peterson, the co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, Nigel Farage, Douglas Murray, Andrew Doyle, Jeff Norcott, Simon Evans, Larry Elder, David Badil, Andrew Sullivan, Megan Kelly, Julia Hartley Brewer, Lord Nigel Lawson, Brett Weinstein, Inaya Falarin Iman, Dr. David Nutt, Jimmy Dore, Gad Sad, Blair White, Melissa Chen, Trevor Phillips, Ian Hersey Ali, Glenn Lowry, Bridget Fettersy, Jim Rickards, Carl Benjamin, and so many more. Plus, we're about to interview some of the biggest guests in the world. We can't name them just yet, but trust me, they're huge. Metaphorically speaking, not just because they're American. Our Locals gives you access to a great community of like-minded people, where you can share memes and make new and problematic friends. You also get early access to live shows, and we're about to release details of our tour, so you'll want to know about that as well. On the higher tiers, you get monthly supporter calls and the opportunity to have a meal or a call with us. Click the link below or go to trigonometry.locals.com and join the community. That's trigonometry.locals.com. We'll see you there. The, the interesting thing as well is that they make these racist characters so clunky. Yeah. Where they, you just go, if you were a racist, you wouldn't be racist at the top of your voice in a public place where everyone can hear. Mm. You know, it's just completely terrible writing. Yeah. And it's just, it's clumsiness on the, the part of the writers, um, whether they don't have the experience, um, whether they uh, are just, like I say, falling over themselves to get that point across and they, they don't care how clumsily they do it. Maybe that's how it is, but uh, yeah, there, there were in the past. I think there would be more of a, a nuance to these characters. You know, you might show them having uh, positive qualities, but also there's this darker side to them that comes across sometimes. Um, and it's it'd be an interesting way of saying, well, this is this is how it manifests in people. Sometimes they might not consciously be aware of it. They might not always be a big cartoonish, um, you know racist who's just yelling at the top of his lungs but um, it comes across subtly um, but that can be the the difference in a character but yeah I just don't think writers these days have got that kind of subtlety to them. Do you think part of the problem as well is what happened with Weinstein was obviously horrific and awful but then Hollywood was almost forced to yeah. say look this is horrific and awful and we're going to produce these films that have an element of social justice to show that we have changed. Oh very much so yeah. They were they were terrified of that because, let's be honest, a lot of them were were implicated in it as being complicit. You know, so many of these stars that were, you know, preaching about how how appalled they were by him. It's like there's there's hundreds of pictures of them like next standing next to him, getting their pictures taken, um, praising him to the the hill. And 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 know. the thing is, they all knew as well. It's not like they just randomly took well, the picture. They yeah, and knew. then there's all these rumors that come out like this person knew, that person knew, but it was a, it would have ended their career if they were to speak out and so yeah it's uh like you say the backlash to that um prompted this huge uh panic amongst them and it's like yeah we have to prove how virtuous we are um and suddenly that's why you get uh, you know diversity quotas to to even be nominated for an oscar really yeah you you to even be considered for an oscar now you have to have you know x number of women 
in front of or behind the camera, X number of, of uh, ethnic minorities, X number of LGBT people. Um, in Hollywood, I would have thought yeah. they're, the, they're the majority, aren't they? Well, I, you, you never know. But um, I, again, I, I'm not a big fan of this idea that um, the, the composition of your movie, in terms of the people working on it, should determine whether or not it's good. What should speak for itself is the end product. Um, and so when you start getting into that mindset of, um, you know, a movie can only be considered worthy if it's got X number of, of different boxes ticked in terms of the people working on it, you're not necessarily going to get the best people. You're just, you're ticking boxes, like I say. Um, and that's just, that's a really bad way of working. It's like they're trying to really artificially tackle a problem that should be much more um, organically changed. You know, the, the whole culture, I guess, of, of the Hollywood needs to shift to, to just let more people in to, to work on these films and give them a chance to succeed on their own merits, not force them into positions they might not be ready for. It's, it's an interesting point, and I, I think it comes back to, to what you said earlier, which is we've kind of got to a position where, like, we all think that our job is to educate other people. And, and what, what they mean by that is to force them to think in a different way. Yeah. Right? And there's, a, there's an extraordinary level of arrogance that's implied within that, which is you have the knowledge that other people must accept as fact and act accordingly. And I think that's kind of where the diversity quota stuff comes from because it's like there's a right way to think and it must be enforced. It, it can't just be introduced. But do you think this is going to change over time? We, we talked about Top Gun Man, but like I know the Daily Wire starting. Now, mm -hmm. my big fear with the Daily Wire movies was like they're going to make like there's a left-wing Hollywood and they're going to make a right-wing Hollywood and then we've just got two extraordinarily politicized movie-making things yeah. and the people who actually just want to watch a good movie aren't going to do that. But from what I've been hearing, actually, the Daily Wire is making things that are uh, the non-documentary stuff that's just a good movie or that that's, their that's what they're trying to do. So do you think the pushback's already started or do you think we're some way off? I, I think it has started, yeah. And, um, you know, companies like the Daily Wire, it's good that they're doing what they're doing. They are... Um, I don't know if they're really going to become a legitimate rival to Hollywood because they're ultimately just one company. They can only produce so many films and they've only got so much of a budget. Um, yeah, I've seen one or two of the things that they've produced. Um, that the Run, Hide, Fight was one that I watched, which was which was all right. You know, it wasn't an amazing movie, but it's kind of a step in the right direction. Um, and yeah, I, I, I had hoped that... Um, what we would see is just more of a realization within Hollywood themselves of um, we can't keep sustaining this, we can't keep bankrolling this kind of lunacy. Um, and they would gradually shift to more towards the center ground. And there was signs of it for a while. Like I know that the guy who took over um, running Disney, um, Bob Chapek, uh, he, he's very much just a money man. He doesn't care about ideology. And he even made that his mission statement. He said, we're, we're a, Disney's now a for-profit company. We're not here to push ideology and we're not here to get involved in politics. Um, when he tried to do that, there was a <laughs> massive backlash against him, basically saying, well, you must be racist then or, or whatever. Uh, and staff were walking out. So I don't know how successful that's ultimately going to be. But um, I guess that it's, it's indicative of a bit of a shift where people are realizing that uh, what we've been trying to do over the past five or 10 years, uh, it's slowly alienating people. You know, look at the Oscars. That used to be a huge event. People would tune in to watch that. Now it's like their ratings are, are like a third of what they once were. The only thing that got people talking about it this year was 
Will Smith. I was going to say, yeah. Chris Rock. <laughs> now they literally have to beat each other to I get know, yeah. attention. I, I said this, I made a video about this. I bet you people are going to start starting fights at the Oscars now just to try and get headlines, you know. But I do find it worrying as someone who loves film, as someone who loves cinema. Just look at movie stars. Really, how many great or new movie stars have been produced recently? Yeah. They haven't. You, you're relying on Tom Cruise, who's a brilliant movie star, one of the greatest of all time. But how old is Tom Cruise now? He's 59? Yeah. Can you keep relying on him to do all these new films and get people into the cinema? Yeah, that age of the movie star has ended. And I've talked about this on my channel. Um, what you have now is people who get interested in characters. You know, oh, there's a new Batman movie. Some, some other douche is going to be playing Batman now. Or there's a new Superman film or whatever it is. You know, they're interested in the the character rather than the actor playing them now. Um, and so, what you what you're losing is that kind of magic of of stardom, which just doesn't exist anymore. Um, there was there used to be a time when oh shit, there's a new Tom Cruise movie out. Of course we you know we need to go see that because I'm sure it'll be good. Um, you know, he's like really the last one. There's nobody is going to get totally fired up that uh, there's a new Chris Pratt film. Um, or that there's a new Dwayne Johnson film. Like th those are just, you know, those guys have their 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 careers, obviously, and they, they make a lot of money. But like they're not stars in the same sense that you used to get 20, 30 years ago. And, and why is that, Will? Um, probably because the studios have become so powerful that uh, it's more of an assembly line of of movies than it is, you know, actual projects that people are passionate about. Um, it's probably going to become like that with directors as well. You used to have guys like Steven Spielberg who would just, you know, they could pick and choose the projects they want you to do. They could get things commissioned on the strength of their name because they were so um, powerful within Hollywood. Uh, now you've just got guest directors that get brought in to do things. And um, particularly within these big, big budget Marvel movies, they don't even really direct their own movies. They are brought in to do scenes like this where people are sitting in a room talking to each other. Then when it comes to the action scenes or the CGI, someone else does that. They do all that, and that's about 90% of the movie. So now you've got directors who are just like the actors now. They are just gigging. They are happy to get the work that they can, um, but they are not big names anymore that people are excited about. That's and, the difference. And it's, it's worrying when you look at the industry, when you look at a lot of the films that make the money are Marvel films. And look, I quite enjoy a Marvel film, but it just shows that, there's a complete dearth of ideas out there mm -hmm. where the only way to get people to go and watch a movie is to have Spider-Man or all the rest of them. What they, they talked about, um, and it was very telling, it was like one of those Disney internal memos, was um, the franchise ecosystem. And I thought that was just the perfect word to describe what they do now. Mm -hmm. Because you get a new movie or a new TV show um, by, any, by Disney, whether it's Star Wars or Marvel, whatever, um, that will have an old character in it, but it will usually have a couple of new characters and then they get their own spin-off movie or spin-off TV show and then that will in turn create more spin-offs and it's just this ever-expanding tree of, of more stuff. Um, and yeah, one of my, one of my other um, content creators, we were on a stream a week or two ago and he showed me all of the upcoming projects for Marvel and Disney over the next 12 months. And I just hung my head and just <laughs> I died a little bit inside because there's so much. It's so overwhelming now. And that's all it is. It's just um, 
it's all just about producing more content. Um, whether it's movies, whether it's TV shows, they're obviously now getting into the realms of, of streaming services where you just need that constant pipeline of new content mm. so that people can binge it. Um, and what about the British film industry? How is it? Is it significantly different or are we making all the same mistakes here? I don't think we're quite the same as, uh, as the Americans because we don't quite have that, uh, that streaming focus that they do. And we don't have these mega huge um, companies running things that, you know, in the same way that they do. So um, Britain, I think, is more restrained when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, but then how many, how many big movies are we producing now? I mean, we've got the Bond films. They come out once every like five years or so at this point. Um, I mean, Bond will be a woman before long. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I am baffled by what they're going to do with Bond now. You know, they, they blew him up at the end of the last movie and then they, they end with this little, little James Bond will return. Like, how? <laughs> you know? In what form? As a ghost? He's got a new identity, <laughs> mate. Yeah. He'll just be like reassembled from all his bits. <laughs> but... The, the other worrying thing as well is that the independent cinema. Back in the 90s when I really got into, you know, into movies, you know, you had all these independent houses. And okay, they were then bought by companies, people like Miramax. They were creating brilliant independent movies. That doesn't seem to be a thing anymore. Like these new rebel voices like the Tarantinos, etc. It doesn't exist. No, I mean, my hope was going to be when we had the lockdowns, the pandemic mm. and everything, um, and you know there was no revenue coming in for for movies and my assumption was okay the era of the the mega blockbuster might be over for now you know studios are just not going to be able to put two three hundred million dollars into each movie because there's not necessarily going to be the return on it people are, are wary about going to the cinemas um, and so what you might see is that middle ground that you used to have of movies on a budget i don't know 50 60 million relatively small in, in Hollywood terms, but big enough that they can still look good, they can still have big set pieces, whatever they want to do, um, and they can afford to then be a little bit more uh, daring. They can take more risks with them. They can do, you know, they could take a chance on a new director who's got some crazy idea because they're not sinking that huge amount of money into it. Um, but it doesn't seem to have happened. We seem to have gotten right back to business as usual. You know, and you look at the movies coming out this year. You've got, what, the new Jurassic Park movie? I mean, that was apparently diabolical. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> I'm so pleased to be there, here in London because I don't have to see it for a couple of days. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like they're, they're huge budgets. Again, back to what we were doing before. And what about taking cinema, cinemas, especially post-COVID? Like, I used to love going to the cinema, and it used to be a real treat for me when you'd sit down, you know, everything goes dark, and you're just there just to watch a film. It was... But I haven't returned to the cinema, and I think it's just simply that I got out of the habit of doing that. Mm -hmm. What? How, how, how have the cinemas been affected? I mean, I don't, I can't speak for each of them, but um, I know when I've gone to see um, movies this year, they're not as busy as no. they were back um, in 2019, for example, or 2018, should I say? Um, and whether it is that. Um, People are just watching at home now, whether they um, have gotten out of that habit like you have, um, they're just streaming it, um, or whether some people are, are still wary about going back to things like that, just for health reasons, I don't know. But, um, you know, the money that seems to be coming in from films um, still suggests that people are going, they are making money. So, 
maybe they're, yeah, maybe I've just been unlucky with the, sc the screenings that I've gone to. Um, but I do think there'll be a proportion of people that won't go back, um, yeah. at least not like they did before. Yeah, there, there's always going to be that proportion, which is a real shame because there's something beautifully communal about going to the cinema. I love it. Um, and I love the lack of distractions because you'll know yourself if you're watching a film at home, you've got your phone there, you've got other people in the house maybe, you, you may be getting things delivered or the postman comes around or, or whatever. There's a million distractions for you. And so you're, you're never quite engaged with the film you're watching in the way you are in the cinema. Like you say, the lights go down, the phones go off, um, and people can just uh, lose themselves in the movie for a couple of hours. And yeah, there's, there's a great um, feeling there where if something funny happens, everyone's laughing along with it. You know, something shocking happens, you hear a little gasp or whatever. It's, it's cool. It's, it's a fun um, way of experiencing it. It's a bit like the theater, I suppose. This is our modern version of it. Yeah. Well, the, I, I think I'm not making this up. I remember reading something about how even if, if you watch a movie you didn't particularly like, just the, the two hours or three hours in a dark room watching one thing with other people, it creates what they call an afterglow, like that, that feeling when you first walk out of the cinema yeah. of like having been in a different world, which is one of the reasons, you know, where we started this conversation, where you're constantly being dragged out of that other world by like, oh, here's a bit of social justice for you. you know? <laughs> uh, Do you feel bad about yourself yeah, yet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look at this girl boss doing this or that or whatever. Um, but I was going to, if I'm in Francis, you mentioned Tarantino. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, I, I, I think Tarantino can be gratuitous sometimes. I mean, that is his, this is his trademark. But I also wouldn't want to live in a world where Tarantino hadn't made many other films yeah. that he ended up making. But there is no fucking way in, in the world that he'd be able to, a, a new Tarantino would ever get a shot now, would they? No, I think the environment's changed. Um, movies are just so much safer now. They're so much more corporatized um, for, for the reasons I've already described. You know, one, they're, they're usually run by much bigger companies that uh, they have to protect their image, their bottom line, all that sort of thing. And they've usually sunk so much money into it that they have to play it safe. You know, most of the time they have to play to, to general audiences now. Whereas Tarantino's movies, obviously, you're not going to want your, your kids going no. to watch that, you know. Um, but they're fantastic films. And so, yeah, he was very much a product of his time. And it feels like that time has passed and there's not a way to bring up guys like him anymore. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's, you know, there's a few directors who've got a distinct visual style. Like one of the ones I talked about recently was uh, The Northman. Um, great movie. Um, and it was the same guy who did The Lighthouse. And the, the names totally escaped me because I'm sitting here with you guys right now. But um, he, he's a really good director and he's got that unique visual style where it's, it's a little bit um, abstract and it's a little bit art housey, but it can be tied into that, that big budget movie um, style as well. So um, guys like him are really interesting, but yeah, they're the few and far between now. There's just not people like that getting created, like really um, different, interesting, creative directors. Not in... Not in mainstream movies at least. And it's also counterproductive as well because take the example of a film like Dirty Dancing, which was made on a shoestring, which had unknowns, which told a story about, you know, a girl meets boy and it was in the Catskills, I think in the 40s. Mm -hmm. And on paper you go, well, how is it? This isn't going to make money. But it's one of the highest grossing movies of all times and probably one of the most profitable as well. Yeah. Just a unique combination of 
really good actors. You know, when you got Patrick Swayze, uh, peak Patrick Swayze-ness, yeah. you know, uh, a, a great sort of 80s soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just one of those like lightning in a bottle things where it just everything somehow worked with it. I, I think there was a lot of tension on set, but then it, it showed in how they interacted with each other. And it just, uh, yeah, a film like that was just one of those happy coincidences where it just everything happened to work. Um, yeah, I, I suppose even, you know, a lot of the people who worked on it at the time wouldn't have predicted that it was going to be this mega hit. They just wouldn't have known. But um, yeah, sometimes films get lucky like that. Hey, Constantine, do you like shopping? No. In Russia, you skin bare with your bare hands and wear it. Obviously, this is for men only. Women and small children are allowed to use knife. Where did you get your blazer from? It's made out of bear. Babushka created it for me using nothing but her own bare hands. No pun intended. I wondered what the smell was. But for those of you who do want an easy, no-hassle solution to the grind of going shopping, then Stitch Fix is for you. Stitch Fix is a service for both men and women and makes shopping for clothes easy. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash trigger to set up your profile. They'll deliver clothes chosen just for you in your taste, size and budget. And by taste, they mean something that will look good instead of showing the world you're having a midlife crisis like me. The items you buy arrive at your door a few days later. You try everything on at home, decide what to keep and then send anything else back. It's so easy. You just pay 10 pounds each time you order, which is credited towards the items you keep and you'll get 20% off when you keep all five items. There's no subscription, plus shipping, returns and exchanges are easy and free. Stitch Fix does the hard work for you making shopping for clubs easy and hassle-free. Get started today at stitchfix.co.uk forward slash trigger and get 20% off when you keep all five items. Can you order fresh Siberian bearskin from Stitch Fix? Uh, possibly. Go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash trigger to find out. And we'll look, we've, we've, we've been talking <laughs> for about an hour now, 40 minutes or whatever it is, and we've we've been a little bit negative. Just a little bit. Just a little <laughs> bit. It's very unlike us. Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. Are there any, you know, green shoots? So there, is there any hope out there? Is is there maybe could the new Top Gun movie maybe could that spark something? I think so, yeah. Um I when a movie makes I mean it must be getting close to 800 million now. It made 800 mil. Yeah. The last time I checked it was like 770 million worldwide. Um, so it'll reach 800, probably 900. It'd be cool if it reached a billion, but it's probably going to get pushed out by other blockbusters this summer. But um, when a film like that does that well, people take notice. And I think they definitely take notice of when films fail in, in a high-profile way. And so, yeah, I, I guess we just have to hope that we see more of this. Um, and with my channel, with, with the reviews that I do, if I spot movies nowadays that are genuinely good and enjoyable, hey, I'll, I'll promote them as much as I can, you know? I'll, I'll recommend them to people. So what have been some of, and obviously people should go and check out your channel, but uh, for anyone watching this, what have been some of the movies that you've actually thought have managed to pierce this sort of politicized social justice uh, bubble? Well, that was one, The Northman was another one. I don't know if that made a massive amount of money, but it was one that I very much enjoyed. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once was a was a great movie. Um, just, again, it was a, a story about, um, I think, Chinese immigrants 
and, and an older woman getting to see how her life might have played out if it should taken different paths and so on. But it was funny and inventive and, and just a great all-round movie. Um, the, what was the other one? That Spider-Man movie, the most recent one, mm. uh, No Way Home. Uh, we were all blown away by it because it had no real politics in it. It had no um, social justice stuff. It, you didn't have a, a female character that was magically better than everyone else, anything like that. What they did was they took um, all these older actors who'd played the same character, brought them all together into a nice, compelling story, let everyone have their, their moment on screen, um, and they were pretty respectful to previous um, generations of, of actors that had played the role. Um, and it just all came together really nice. So, you know, things like that, we were really surprised. Like, who knew they could make a, a comic book movie that was still enjoyable, <laughs> you know? Mm. Well, there you go. Will, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. We're going to do a couple of questions for our locals. Uh, but before we do that, we always finish our interviews with the same question, which is, what's the one thing we're not talking about that we really should be? You know, I always wondered, why are so many people allergic to nuts these days? I think we should be talking about that. It was unheard of when I was a kid. Now it's like everyone seems to have some kind of nut allergy. I don't understand it. We used to let them die. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what we Which did. Which is how yeah. it should be, really. <laughs> like, look, if you can't eat a peanut, you, I mean, you didn't make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, you, Sorry, you know, Francis. little yeah, Jimmy just got mate. really ill every time he had a peanut butter sandwich yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, and that was wide. fine. It was a system that worked. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Someone had to come in and mess with it. It's separating the wheat from the chaff, ultimately. So Agreed, mate. <laughs> You're not actually allergic to No, I'm not. I just don't That's a different thing. That's okay. Yeah. You cannot like things yeah right nice to have ended it on a super right wing note thank yeah. you very much there's nothing right wing about saying you deserve to die if you can't handle a peanut it's just <laughs> practical <laughs> reality you just you're just not keeping up with the tribe you're slowing everybody else down yeah but it's been an absolute pleasure will if people want to find you online where is the best place to do that uh you can find me on youtube under the critical drinker and you can find me on twitter um by the same handle so fantastic thanks stuff. So, thanks so much for coming on and thank you for watching <laughs> This is a question that I would ask you. It's a brilliant question. It's from Andy Kidd, and he wants to know your top five films and why. Oof. I always hate these questions, actually. Well, at least there's five, so yeah. it's not like um, too difficult. But uh, top five, um, one of them would be Saving Private Ryan. Just like probably a definitive war movie for me. Just absolutely fantastic. Um, what else? Uh, I always had a real fondness for uh, Falling Down, that Michael Douglas movie. Fantastic. The man who I based my image on. Yeah. <laughs> Great right. man. I need that flat top hairstyle. <laughs> yeah. Um, big Trouble in Little China, just because it's absolute peak John Carpenter. Uh, lovely and, and cheesy and just really good fun. Uh, so love that one. Um, Back to the Future. Love it. Um, I, I could happily watch all three of them um, and just have a great time. But yeah, the first one is just fantastic. Yeah. Just real magical movie. Um, and the last one, probably Lord of the Rings. Um, the Fellowship of the Ring, I think, is, is my favorite. Again, a movie you can just absolutely lose yourself in. So those would be my picks, I think. But you ask me next week, it would probably be different ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to pick, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and uh, somebody called, uh, I'm sure it's not actually the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel, but somebody <laughs> called Pretty Patel on our locals. I'm pretty sure my immigration papers are in order. <laughs> yeah. You're getting deported back to Scotland. Yeah. Uh, or Rwanda, whichever you prefer. Um, she says, uh, why are prequels and sequels so often disappointing in comparison to the original? 
I, I think a lot of the time because the original wasn't written with a sequel in mind. And so what they have to do then is try and pick up the threads of whatever story they had um, and then construct a new narrative around that. So that's why you sometimes um, have a disappointing sequel. And also, a lot of the time you just end up rehashing the same basic ideas, just bigger. Um, and again, it, it's not going to have that same magic the next time around. Um, you know, the example that I've used before is, is something like Predator. Yeah, one of those like, 80s action movies, but it worked great because it was this mystery about what, what was killing all these people, you know, and, and how does it work? How can it go invisible? All that stuff. All, that th all those things have been answered by the end of the first movie. So you try and do another one, all you're doing is just doing the same thing again, but you're losing the, the mystery of it. Um, so I think that's part of the problem. And then prequels, kind of the same issue in that you know where it's ultimately going to end. And so if, it's, if it comes to characters and so on and they're put in danger, you know they're not going to die because they're going to be alive in the next movie. So, you know, you've got a little bit of a problem there as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of the time it's just trying to construct narratives that weren't really meant to be there originally. Uh, that's, the, that's why they're often disappointing. And I suppose it's, it's probably quite hard to get a studio to agree to making like a three-part movie unless there's been a hugely successful book like yes. The Lord of the Rings. Or like you're not going to get someone to sign up to three, three episodes, let's say, of like a completely new thing. Yes. Yeah, makes sense. All right, well, that's it. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.